Hello and welcome to Success Story, the show that tells the very real and personal stories that merge chronic illness and sex. I'm your host, Heather DeKaiser, therapist, wife, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. Each week on Success Story, you're going to hear from individuals and couples about how illness has affected their relationships and their sex lives. Not only do we talk about just how challenging these effects can be, but we're also going to talk about what the hell we can do about it. Listen along as stories of sexual challenge and tragedy become stories of success. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Success Story. Here we're on episode 7 called We Can't Unsee It. And I'm going to let our guest, Megan, tell you a little bit about why we decided to name the episode that Um, a little bit of a content warning here in the beginning during this podcast Megan is going to be talking about some pretty intimate intense parts of her relationship journey and that is going to include things like substance use sexual and intimate partner violence um, and things that go along with that domestic violence and so just practice a lot of self-care today if this is something that's going to hit home um, and you need to take a break from listening or maybe this isn't the podcast for you um, to listen to or have somebody with you while you're listening. Um, just practice a lot of self-care and listen to yourself on what you need because we do go into some really deep things here. Um, today we've got Megan with us and thanks so much for being willing to share this part of your story because I know that your story as a human didn't begin with all of this and it's certainly not going to end with all of it and I think a lot of people are going to resonate with the things that you have to say and share and a lot of people are going to get great stuff out of this so Megan thanks for being on the show and my first question just is kind of what do you hope that people get from today thank you so much for having me on Heather I hope that the story that I am going to share will um, will help other people who are in abusive relationships so that they know that they're not alone, maybe help give them some language to describe the things that they're going through um, and help them feel like they have a voice, that they are empowered and that they are um, not the only person maybe experiencing what they're experiencing and that their feelings are valid and um, important and real. I think that's great. And mentioning other stories, that's maybe something else to touch on too, is just that with sexual and intimate partner violence, domestic violence, any type of sexual abuse within relationships, etc., people tend to have a lot of opinions about this topic. Um, And so we just ask everyone to remember that this is Megan's story with Megan's language and she and I are just gonna have a really real um, conversation based on her story. So even if, you know, people listening might have said something a little bit differently, stories, you know, are a little bit different. um, 
not everything is going to resonate. A lot of things will resonate, but please just be respectful and be mindful that the way that we're talking about this today is because it's, it's Megan's version, perception, feelings, and that's, that's the story that we're going off of today. And that's the language we're going to be using. So that was kind of wordy way of saying, we're not going to be super careful about what we say or how we say it because Megan's the one telling it. So just be mindful of that. Um, why, why did the title, we can't unsee it resonate so much with you, Megan? I was married to Adam for over 10 years and it took me a very long time to have the language, have the knowledge, be able to see what was happening, um, to me under any kind of accurate lens. And once those things came all into focus, I couldn't, I could never pull the lens back. I couldn't mm. ever unsee what I knew was true. I couldn't put it back in a box. I couldn't make it go away once it was there and, and I had a clear perception. It was my responsibility to continue to see what was happening and make the choices that were healthiest and safest for myself and my family. I think that's really powerful. I love the title. And I like that you put the word we to it because so many people um, go through relationships that have some type of abuse in it. And I think that you're, you know, I have the language now to talk about it. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people because I don't know if people do know how to talk about this. I don't think that we're necessarily encouraged to talk about these things. So I really appreciate the vulnerability of your story. I know we've known each other over six years and I've been able to hear a lot of it and you've been able to share a lot of it with me. And I think that this is just going to be such a powerful platform in telling people like, hey, you're valid, you're not alone, mm -hmm. and, and you can heal from this. Like they're, whatever choices you decide to make are going to be for you, and these are the ones that I ended up making and having that resonate with people. So I don't know, I, I love the title. I absolutely think it's awesome. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. Um, Megan, where does your story begin? Okay. So, um, like I said, I was married to Adam for well over 10 years. Um, we have three children together. I'm a healthcare, I work in the healthcare system. Um, I am currently in a very healthy and loving relationship with my partner of almost three years. Um, but my story starts back this part of the story starts back in 2005. There was a lot of groundwork that was laid through childhood um, that kind of set me up to make some of the choices I did um, about the person that I married. Um, I met Adam in um, early 2005. We um, met in a bar. We were both college students, or I, I had just finished college. He was a college student still. He was a little bit older than me. Um, and 
we had kind of a like what we would call now in rom-com like a meet cute uh, we exchanged phone numbers because this was back before cell phones were ubiquitous mm. and back before you know people were sending each other texts on the regular and yeah. all that kind of stuff um, and things moved really fast from like zero to <laughs> zero to 100 really we met and within um, a really short span of time decided to move in together and since we were going to move in together we decided why the heck not just get married and rather than have a traditional wedding we thought it would be fun a good story again to go to Las Vegas and elope I was 20 to almost 23 and he was 25 and at first it was kind of bliss like um you know things didn't start bad like things weren't always bad and i think some of the um is it dopamine that you get with the, okay so some of the dopamine that you get when you're in the early stages of a relationship and oxytocin. And oxytocin. All the attachment <laughs> feel-good stuff. Um, were very powerful, and um, there were some red flags that I ignored from very early on. Um, moving so quickly in the relationship was certainly one of them. Um, is that hindsight looking back or were you aware of them at the time and that you were overlooking the red flags? No, no, I, that's hindsight looking back. Okay. We had had uh, one or two pretty significant fights before we decided to get married. But um, those I just sort of like chalked up and dismissed. Um, I didn't have a lot of framework for fighting or relationships even. So um, I, I don't think that I thought that they were red flags, but I certainly see some of the red flags now that I didn't know were red flags. And then later there would be red flags that I would ignore because okay. um, I kept hoping that, you know, they would be different, but we'll get there. That's jumping ahead okay. a little bit. Okay. So what happened when you decided to move in, get married, you went to Vegas? Mm -hmm. um, we, yeah, I mean, we told our parents um, who both sets took it far better than I would take it now if it were one of my kids. Um, but I, in, in, a, in a way, had kind of wanted a family and chased a family my whole life. I was very excited to be a wife and have a husband and have some of the stability maybe or um, some of the like unconditional love that maybe I, I didn't feel like I always got when I was growing up. So initially um, things were good. I was really happy to kind of cater to him and um, I was working um, 
and he was still in school. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, what initially like drew you to one another? I like, thought he was very cute. Um, I felt like we had quite a bit in common, um, in terms of, uh, like our education, our families, um, our values were fairly similar. Um, and he was very smart. He, he was very interesting and fun and charming. That was, those were all the things that drew me to him. Um, it's obviously hard for me. To, I mean, it's impossible for me to put myself in his head and tell you what drew, what drew him to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but how long was it um, between meeting and moving in together and going to Vegas to get married? Uh, it makes me like laugh cringe because it's, it's, I look back and with the things I know now, it's, it's so appalling. And like I said, if it were my kid, I would completely fall apart. Uh, four and a half months. Okay. We were married four and a half months after we met. Okay. And what was it like? What was what was marriage like early on? Like, and and how did things change or start to change? Um, um, let's see. Let uh, I have to think about that for just a second. Okay. Um. Hmm. So. Initially, I was on, like I said, I was kind of on cloud nine. I, I was really excited to be married. Um, the early days of marriage um, were pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tough. And uh, I know that they are for a lot of people. Um, they say that the first year can be some of the toughest. Yeah. And, and so we had a lot of tough moments, a lot of like growing pains or like, um, I was I was much more ready to like settle down and be stable and he was more more interested in kind of like partying and having fun and um so I kept kind of like telling myself like well everybody says the first year is hard mm. we're just like we're adjusting we're getting to know each other still um my parents were sort of like yeah, the first year is hard, but it, it's going to get better. Um, they'd also, <laughs> both of our parents got married really fast. They got married kind of in the same amount of time as we did. And okay. so I think that was a factor why they both took it so well, because yeah. that they, was what they had done. They could relate to it. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, we got into a couple of big fights kind of that first year. Um, he was he was very jealous and very controlling and very, um, you know, again, I, looking back, completely see the humongous bright red flags. Um, but at the time, I, I was really willing to overlook them and really willing to tell myself that I needed to do something different. 
and if I were doing something different, he wouldn't be so upset. I just didn't have the language for any other kind of um, way of framing things. To not blame yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I um, would, you know, I would stop doing, th- I quit doing things like going out for drinks with my girlfriends after work or um, I, I actually quit kind of like going to the mall because it seemed to create such an issue with him. And so I just tried I'd kind of double down on being like this perfect wife so that he would never have any reason to get upset with me. And um, when things were good, things were really good. I think it's an important part to remember too is that even though the relationship became abusive fairly quickly, like you said, it's sort of a meet cute situation mm-hmm. where it wasn't always bad. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people can resonate with that experience and relate to it as far as like in the beginning there was this charm and there was this personality that I was so drawn to and looking for at the time. Um, and unfortunately then things turned and you had to figure out what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what, what was the time? I mean, did things start to change pretty quickly? Within the first six months of marriage, we had had two really, really big, significant, scary fights that. What, what made them scary? I had never had someone be so mad at me before. And I had never had someone be so mad at me for things that felt so unjust. And, uh, and unfair and untrue and I realize now that this is a like a pattern for abusive relationships um, I realize now that um, there was probably some real projection happening on his part um, because of things that he was doing um, and I I was I, I, I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in a house where that kind of fighting happened. Mm -hmm. And so the things that he would get mad at me about were such, um, huge, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like they were like, so, um, like minuscule or, they were such like um oh attacks on my character that okay. that i i really couldn't even like wrap my head around what was going on did it make you start to question yourself like yeah it really I, did am i this way or it did um, he's founded he he would he would say like there was a time where he said oh you were you were flirting with my friend and being really weird and i i replayed that moment that night that conversation over and over in my head for months and I just couldn't ever understand where it was coming from and what I had done and so it um it really did make me think like maybe there is there there maybe there's something fundamentally in me that I I don't have a good character mm-hmm. I don't have um the integrity that I think I do. I don't have, um, I don't have the values that I think I hold. It was very confusing because I, 
I assumed that people um, were operating from a space of rational behavior and honesty, honesty yeah, and good faith. And if he, I assumed he was operating from those places as well. And that was a, a real like mind fuck for me, I guess. So to go from being excited to be a wife and having a family to all of a sudden questioning these parts of your character, how do you think that impacted how you felt about being a wife? Being, I mean, you started out so excited for that. I still, um, I still liked it, but I began to feel more trapped pretty quickly. Mm. Um, my parents, um, well, I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. Okay. There were a couple of moments where, after a couple of the big fights early on, I had a little, like, nagging voice in the back of my head, like, I don't know what's going on, but this is not okay, whatever it is. Again, mm -hmm. I didn't have any language. I just knew that it felt really bad. Okay. Um, but because of, um, so partly because of the circumstances under which we got married and some of the shock that I had from friends and mostly from friends, not so much from family, who kind of had come and said like, Megan, what the fuck are you thinking? Why the fuck did you marry this guy? You don't mm -hmm. know him. Um, I felt like, first of all, I had to prove them wrong and I was gonna make it work and even if I um, hadn't had those voices in my head, my parents were really not in a position to help me or um, give me any kind of like support. And so I just thought it really made me like double down and try even harder to like lean into being a wife. Like if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Yeah. Type mentality. Yeah. And that I was going to. I was going to do what I needed to do to make my husband happy and figure out why he got so mad at me because in my experience, you'll usually get mad at people because they've done something that quote unquote deserve it. Mm -hmm. And so I was just going to be perfect so that I never made him mad and it was going to be me and him against the world. And how did that go? Yeah. Well, we're not married anymore. <laughs> uh, probably not a shocker, but it never went well. Okay. I mean, there was never, and again, I, uh, I have language, I have knowledge that I didn't have at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there was always, it, it was mostly at first this emotional component. Okay. Emotional abuse. I know it. That's I know that's that's what it was. I kind of knew at the time, but I really didn't want to like apply it to my life. Mm. I had this idea of what I thought um, someone who was being emotionally abused looked like. I thought there was this mold, and that wasn't me. You know. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't make that leap, yeah. I guess, if you say, want to say. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, we'd go through periods where 
things were pretty good. Um, and then those, those <laughs> actually, as time went on, the times that things were good became more scary than the times when things were bad because I knew that things were about to become bad. <laughs> and it's not uh, funny. Like good stuff became associated with a blow-up's coming. Yeah, a blow-up's coming. Or, like, the next, the yeah. next round. Yeah, exactly. Um, that had to change your perspective. I mean, like, then you started to have kids and... It was, it was really, um, at first it was really unsettling because I thought, oh, he's mad at me because I didn't, I didn't clean the house enough. Or he's mad at me because like I didn't make dinner. And these are very traditional kind of feminine duties, but for a lot of our marriage, we had a pretty traditional relationship, Mm -hmm. um, where he would work. And then as we had kids, I was home with the kids. And so, you know, if if I cleaned the house, he'd be mad I didn't cook dinner. If I cooked dinner, he would be mad I didn't do the laundry. If I did the laundry, he'd be mad I wasn't paying attention to the kids. So it was sort of like I could never really win. And as long as I sort of um, smiled or took the criticism, took his... um, his abuse, basically, things, things always sort of like stayed rocky, but like there was a degree of which it was, it was bearable, I like, guess. Like you found ways to manage it. Yeah. As best yeah, you could. Yeah. Um, it was, there were occasions though where it, it, we were just due for a blow up. And so it would get sparked in in one case heather and i like laughed about more than once because it's it's almost funny in retrospect but he'd come home from work and i'd made tacos for dinner i'd been home all day with our kids i offered to assemble his tacos for him and like again the sounds in hindsight like it's almost a funny anecdote but at the time it was not funny at all um i so I'd been, he'd been at work, he worked 12 hour days. Um, I'd gotten the kids to bed. I said, do you want tacos? He's like, no, I'm not hungry. So I put everything away and I like sat down. I was tired too. I had been up and you know, um, with our kids and they were all pretty small at the time. Um, and about 25 minutes after I sat down and was just like gonna watch some TV and hang out on the couch with him, he said, get up and make me tacos. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm tired. You can make your own. He goes, well, I'm tired. And I go, yeah, well, but I am too. And I offered to make them like 25 minutes ago. And um, it became a huge, I mean, screaming match in our kitchen that to this day my kids refer to as Taco Gate. Mm. Um What's that like for you, knowing that they remember? It, it doesn't feel great. Uh, and it makes me really glad that they're not in a house anymore where they have to worry about their parents screaming in the kitchen about tacos. Yeah. 
myself. From what I know of your relationship with your kids too, like you talk to them about a lot of things and you validate their experience and what they're going through. And you know, at the time for you, I'm sure it was hard to make decisions of like, I'm balancing marriage, I'm balancing motherhood, I'm balancing what these kids are seeing and witnessing and what I'm experiencing. And mm -hmm. it must have been really hard at points to like have all that questioning of yourself and yet mm -hmm. to know that it felt so icky. Yeah, totally, totally. And still, I mean, I still thought at that point, like, if only I were a better wife, if only I were a better person, if only I were a better mother, he wouldn't be doing this. Um, it was, that was pretty close. That was really kind of the beginning of the end, though. Okay. So, um, I didn't, I still didn't quite have all the language I needed. But, How did you start to get it? Um, there were a few things that happened. One, one of the primary things, though, was um, I was very lonely in my marriage. I was very, um, I felt very unsupported, kind of unvalidated, unappreciated, and... Kind of long story short, there were some, you know, choices that were made that in retrospect, I wish had been made differently. Okay. Um, that really made me, that, that really made me question myself. Um, I, I was starting to get to a point where I recognized that the way that he treated me really wasn't a reflection of me or anything I was doing or not doing. Uh, but there were some choices I made where I thought this is really not the person that I am. And I made... Like in how you coped or yeah, and some like coping tried to skill, get through yeah, it? Yeah, and some coping skills that I, I chose to use. Okay. Um, and at that point, I thought I really need to talk to someone about what's happening. And I really need to talk to somebody who is a professional. Like, I need to find a therapist and I need to do it now. And so I- How many years into your marriage was this when you sought out therapy? Um, let me think. Let me do the math on my fingers. Twelve years. Okay. We've been married for twelve years at this point. Okay. I, did, I just did had to do finger math. Heather can tell you. <laughs> um, Don't worry, I do it too. <laughs> um, and that was where I finally had a safe person to talk to who could help me learn this. Honestly, and I again, I keep going back to language, but it was a language I didn't understand and a language I didn't have. And I didn't have any basis to articulate how I felt. I didn't know how to talk about things that were happening. I didn't know how to, at, I mean, at this point, um, I had, I had repressed so much. I was like using, I was drinking a lot for other reasons that we'll also get into. Um, okay. 
but I, I was in a lot of ways so disconnected from my own body and emotions um, that I needed help even getting connected to myself again. And like so, connecting, I know like with trauma, our minds and our bodies can tend to separate, right? Our yeah, body has to yeah. continue to physically experience what's going mm-hmm. on in our world and our brain has to find a way to emotionally yes, survive it. Yeah, totally. And I needed, I needed, I needed help to like realign my body and my mind. So I started going to therapy, and um, that was a pretty major turning point in in my marriage and and um, and being able to understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you started to ask for support. You reached out. You found a therapist. Sounds like one that you really meshed with. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think therapy helped in a way that got you to the point? Because you, from what I remember us talking about, you were in therapy for a while before like you actually filed for divorce. It wasn't like that was a quick process where it's like, I started therapy, got language, filed for divorce. It was like, that seemed like it, it took a while. Oh, what, yeah. What was that yes, like? Yes, absolutely. Um, it did. It, it, it took a while still. And, uh. This is um, probably the point at which um, the scariest parts of my marriage started. Okay. So I guess just warning again for people who are listening. Um, but I started therapy. Um, I also was lucky in the sense um, kind of like not immediately um, – but within uh, nine months or so of starting therapy and really kind of being able to articulate like the abusive behavior and, and being able to name it and being able to recognize what was happening and recognizing the, like other... the patterns of it, like yeah. how, like when it yes. would blow up and kind of that mm-hmm. honeymoon period where it was mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry, and things are okay. And it was just basically build up to the, the yeah. next big thing. It's a very, it was a very classic sort of like cycle of abuse okay. that was happening. I had uh, some people who I, you know, peripherally kind of knew through Facebook who shared some of the, you know, shared like stories of, they're, you know, ending, ending their bad marriages or their, you know, abusive marriages or abusive relationships. And, and so I, I not only had a therapist who I really trusted and felt safe with and who was um, helping me have the tools I needed to um, break the cycle, but I also found a community of people, a pretty small community, who could kind of help in between like therapy sessions sure. or, you know, we're like sort of um, like, I don't know, like my tribe. Yeah. Yeah. My divorce, uh, my divorce sponsors or, yeah. you know, however. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so typically part of therapy is like learning to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that Things started, like, you started therapy and things started to actually get pretty, like, scarier. Yeah, like, they got worse. <laughs> they like, go. Why do you think that is? Um, I think, 
a big part of it was because I, so one of the books that my therapist recommended, one of my first weeks was this book, Why Does He Do That? And I read it and once I read it, I don't know if other listeners have read it, but I, I couldn't unsee what was going on. I, I mean, it, it was a, that was like the ultimate moment, but that was one of the big kind of like the catalyst. Yeah. Pulling back kind mm. of moments. The curtain. Um, yeah. Pulling back the curtain. Okay. Yeah. And so I got, I was, I was, oh. so I, I, I could now, I knew how to, I knew how to articulate what was, what was happening in my marriage. And at first I could say like, he's emotionally abusive. Yes. Um, and then as I, as I realized that it, it made me, it really made me well, not I, and I wouldn't even say at first that I wanted to fight back. It, um, I thought, well, if I set these boundaries with him, because I'm invested in my marriage, we've got three little kids. I was mostly a stay-at-home mom. I really did not want to get divorced. That was not my end game. My end game was like, how do we fix this so that it's healthy? And boundaries. And so I thought, well, if I set boundaries with him, and I'm really clear, and I like explain myself really well, that will help repair things. Like it'll hold him accountable? Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought again, I still kind of thought he was um, operating in sort of the same sort of good faith that I was. Mm -hmm. um, and there were still a lot of things I had to learn. But um, the more I set boundaries with him, the more escalated things would become because he was not used to that happening. That was not what he wanted to have happen. That is not what I had been groomed to do. And the more empowered I felt to stand up for myself, the more angry it made him. Mm. So how did you deal with the anger? I still, tr I still tried really hard to like, uh, not trigger it, but, um, keep the peace a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did try to keep the peace. Um, I tried to, I mean, to, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think about how to answer that because um, I did try to keep the peace, but I also felt like I really needed to um, advocate for myself and um, you know. Um, I think I remember you describing it as like you were building an inner strength Mm -hmm. that like you didn't know you had yeah and despite 
it making him angry when you would say no, set boundaries, there was still part of you that was like, but you still need to do this. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of like backing down and like, okay, well, obviously boundaries don't work, so I'm just never going to set them again. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and uh, I mean, there, there just like were a lot of, a lot more fights. And like the fights escalated a lot more. Escalated how? Um, like physically? Physically, yeah. Yeah. Um, there were, um, you know, I, um, you know, times that like he would kind of like trap me in a room because he didn't want me to get away from him. Threw a chair through a wall. He would break my phone. He, um, we got in a fight once where, um, I think he pushed me. He says I slipped and I sprained my ankle. Um, they were, I, I mean, hor- I mean, awful, like, horrible for our kids, horrible for me. I'm sure they were horrible for him. Um, and then, um, this is backtracking a little bit, but this is a really important thing for me to address too. Okay. Um, I, I obviously learned the language for emotional abuse pretty fast. One of the things that I took a longer time to um, understand and is still one of the harder parts to talk about um, because I do think we're getting better at like recognizing emotional abuse and obviously people recognize what physical abuse is. Mm-hmm. Um, but recognizing how sexually abusive our relationship was. Um, and that, that, that theme, that was like a ribbon for throughout our marriage. I mean, the, the sexual piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that I remember sitting with my therapist and having this realization that I had not had consensual sex in at least 10 years where I wasn't, I, I was an enthusiastic yes. I had had mostly sex that was coerced, but sometimes um, it was forced. And so I know I kind of discussed um, drinking and my drinking. And part of the reason that I would do that was because um, it, it helped me kind of like disassociate from what was happening to me or what was being done to me or what I was doing um, kind of non-consensually. Do you think that your drinking increased as the sexual violence started to happen more and more often? Yes, absolutely. Because that's what allowed you to leave your body Mm -hmm. and go somewhere else Mm -hmm. until the experience was Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if, if it were like we, if we were having sex in the middle of the day, I would dissociate in different ways because I wasn't drinking at 10 in the morning or whatever. But, um, that was a huge, huge component for the drinking I did and, um, kind of the thing that let me get through. I would like, I would like sometimes like look at my calendar on my phone and say like, okay, well, if I have sex with him today, I won't have to have sex for like two or three days. Like you'll be buying yourself time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was a, that was a, a, there were things I was willing to do to kind of stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that was probably the the hardest one the scariest one and the one I was most willing to kind of um just almost like cave on what do you mean like um like I could stand up for myself and I was willing to have a fight about how he talked to me about how the house looked or how whatever you know like whatever his petty kind of grievance was but um I felt like it was for a long time I mean it was just safest for me the safest thing was to just like just say yes and do what I needed to do um or, or not even say yes I should say I should say just let it happen and not push back too much that feels really powerful when you describe it that way. Just let it happen. Mm -hmm. And you said it took you longer in therapy to accept like that language or that there it was sexual violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if there are other words that you use to describe. <sighs> you, you've used the word coerce, force, things like that. Um, how, how, so what was it like talking with your therapist and realizing like, this is what's going on. So it's it's interesting that you you ask that because I remember um, having a conversation once um, with her about it about uh, something that had happened the night before. Where um, again, I mean, this is pretty intense, even for me to talk about. But yeah. um, where I'd woken up and he was having sex with me, and I wanted him to stop, and he didn't stop, and I shared it in therapy and she said what is a word that you would use if somebody else if one of your friends told you that that had happened and I said well I would say that she'd been raped and it's a word I couldn't um it's it's a word I couldn't really use at the time to describe the things that were happening to me it's a word I still really struggle actually to um apply the the sex that I had within my marriage. Okay. Um, it's, um, it's not that it's not an accurate word, but it's a very, um, it's a very loaded word. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, as big as I am on describing things the way that they are and using the language that is appropriate, it's a still a term that is really, 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 really <laughs> um, tough to wrap my head around. Do you think looking back on that therapy session that it was helpful for her to ask that question? Or do you feel like maybe it was kind of a setup or it was like something that maybe you weren't necessarily ready for or didn't define it that way and so that maybe wasn't as useful of a question? No, I think it was a very, very useful question and a very appropriate and important like framework for me to have because um a, you know kind of a, again like I think that as a culture like as a you know as a country as people we are getting a little bit better at like recognizing and naming like what is emotional abuse what is coercive control what is um marital rape I think that one is still a little tougher yeah. actually yeah that I think that 
that is um I I don't know. I guess I might I might just be speaking for my own framework, but I feel yeah, like that is a, do. <laughs> that is a people are more like they're more reluctant to talk about sex. They're more reluctant to talk about honestly even stuff like the kink like the kinks that they're into. Maybe they're kind of into like BDSM or maybe they're kind of into like consenting non-consensual like role play or mm-hmm. um Maybe they feel safe enough in their relationships where they don't they don't mind kind of like when their partner is a little bit more aggressive. Um, it's just so hard because again, like it's so feels like still such a taboo topic. Sure. That um, having a sense of like the quote unquote normal or healthy. And because healthy sex looks so many different ways for different people and depending on your your frame and your experiences and what you feel safe with, right. um, what is healthy for one person is very unhealthy for someone else sure. and unsafe. And so yes. um, I would also almost always orgasm with him. And that was also another kind of like layer of confusion because if I don't want this, why is my body reacting this way? Mm. Have you ever read the book Come As You Are Mm-mm. by Emily Nagoski? So um, she's brilliant and I follow her around at conferences, which is probably, I mean, I'm sure lots of people do it because she's the way that she talks about sexuality for women and how they develop and mm-hmm. or how it develops and you know that it's always based in context and how we develop the frameworks yeah she talks about the three different systems of sex in your brain there's like three components to it oh it's um whether or not you want to do something mm-hmm. is your body responding to a stimulus or mm-hmm. like how is your body responding and then whether or not you found pleasure in it yeah and that you can have one without the other two but can you have two without the other one yeah because I, I do actually think that there was uh there was probably a lot of where I had like the response and like I got pleasure but I didn't have like that first part the want yeah mm-hmm. and that even to this day is like a very, it's a very kind of confusing thing for me to process and like think about sexually or think about when I have sex with my current partner um, and things that I would be interested in exploring but are um, so deeply un- like uncomfortable. Like, yeah. So. Why do you think it's so deeply uncomfortable for you? Um... So in when I when I look back on the story or like I look back on my marriage um the emotional abuse was really bad but the sexual violence was probably even worse and uh, I think that there's gonna be it's I'm gonna be reconciling and and working through that for a really long time 
and knowing how to feel safe in my body and knowing um, how to feel safe with a partner and knowing how to feel safe naked. I mean, feel safe in the room, feel safe in... Um, Be able to say no or mm -hmm. I don't want this. Yeah, yeah. Because for a long time, there was no no. There was yeah. no no at all, ever. Mm -hmm. So... So it was like being able to add that word like back into your vocabulary almost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with my partner now, um, he's the only um, person I've ever been with where every single time has been an enthusiastic yes. But there are things that um, I, you know, feel a little uncomfortable about. Sure. And like with your current partner? Mm -hmm, okay. Yeah. And when they come up, I, I, I am, I am a fucking mess. Like, what's the response? Is it like fight, flight, freeze? I would say, um, fight. It's either probably fight, fight fear, Free. fear. Okay. Fight, flight, fear. Yeah, fight, fight and fear probably are the big ones. Because dissociation sounds a lot yeah. like some people describe it as that was their flight. Mm -hmm. Like being able to go elsewhere so that they weren't in their body experiencing everything. I don't really have much like um, dissociation with him. Okay. Current uh, partner. Yeah, my yeah. current partner. Okay. I, I had a ton of it in my marriage. Um, but more so when things come up that, that are like a trigger for me. I mean, trigger gets really overused, but it is, I think, a very accurate word to describe uh, some of the things that really, um, like even even thinking about right now, like um, you guys can't see it, but I just was like, like I'm like pounding my chest like really fast. Like I can feel like my heart rate like go up mm -hmm. and um, like kind of like panic, even just kind of thinking about things that never have even happened with my current partner. Right. <laughs> like, like they're, uh, like they make me want to like call them and start a fight almost, which yeah. is like ridiculous, but which is the fight. Yeah. Or like run away or cry or, um, there's a, there's a book called the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel still about some of this stuff. Like your body remembers. Yeah. Yeah. And our bodies can remember something without our brain being able to put words to it or a definition to it. It just responds so fast. And then our mm -hmm. brains have to figure out like, what just happened? Why is this happening? I'm not with the old partner. Mm -hmm. How could this happen with current partner? And it sounds like what you experience is just because your body's still remembering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like your body can't always tell the difference between who's in front of you or who you're having sex with. Yeah, absolutely. My body is still learning how to feel safe. Yeah. How to be safe. Yeah. How to respond in a safe way. Okay, so there came a time when you did end up getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. How did you know that it was time that it you had to do something different and and how did you finally make the decision to end your marriage? We had been 
kind of going round and round for a long time. Um, I had filed for divorce. Um, he was so opposed to it and reluctant that he, um, he really, like, I didn't have the resources to, like, hire an attorney at that, at that point. I, um, again, my parents weren't in a position to help me pay for an attorney. Um, I was not working. I was just kind of barely getting back into the workforce. Um, so for a year or so, we kind of were in this really awful dance, I, I guess you could say. And, um, where, um, we were still living together. Like the divorce paperwork had been dropped because nothing there was no like movement that had happened on it so you had already filed once I and, filed and once. tried to go through the divorce process yeah what made you decide not to go through with it well or was it, that a it mutual decision it or? wasn't really an active decision it was um more so i think that we didn't there are like deadlines that they want you to that you have to like hit like you have to have this paperwork filed by this day and then we'll move forward well like none of the once the initial like, um, once the initial filing had happened, we didn't do any of like the real subsequent paperwork okay. because he was so resistant, and he like kind of he didn't want to sign and he didn't want to agree to anything, and so they they um I don't I don't know exactly what to call it they dropped the or dismissed dismissed the filing I guess okay and so for like another nine months or so we were in the same house like he knew i didn't want to be married um he had started kind of seeing other people but again um it was it, it was oh it was so fucking unhealthy i like think back to that period of my life and it's like i just i cringe like i want to hide it mm -hmm. i just it's oh it's like viscerally painful to think about um but um, we had, uh, it was right after the 4th of July and we were with our kids at that point, the original divorce paperwork had been dismissed. Um, and we were all just like kind of miserably biding our time. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, late summer, it was summer of 2019. And, um, I can't even remember what precipitated the argument, but we got into a, another fight. I made him go upstairs with me, so at least um, I could kind of shield the kids a little bit. I tossed my phone um, at my daughter and said, um, you know, if you're scared, call so-and-so, one of my friends who lived out of state. Um, just really, I, you know, I was like in the moment I had, I had no game plan. I had no, um, I had no intent. I just was really trying to like get the fight away from them and, um, give my kids a, you know, an adult that they could reach out to as soon as he, as soon as he and I got upstairs and went into our room to, you know, close the door, 
she called my friend who lived out of state and my friend called the police and the police came to my house it was horrible <laughs> um they were very nice um i mean you know very compassionate um it was like the worst best night of my life mm. and it was kind of like the start of my new life they came um i was hysterical i mean i was i was a goddamn mess like i i had been drinking and um he was as cool as a cucumber calm um one of the officers talked to me and said I grew up in a house like this. You cannot keep doing this to these kids. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a knife to the heart type of thing. Um, I, I'm so fucking glad like they didn't arrest him. They didn't arrest me. They just said, what do you want? And I said, I just want him to go. I just want him to leave. I just don't want him to come back. And uh, they made him leave. And the officers I talked to said, we're going to sit outside your house, we're, or we're going to, um, you know, like circulate. We're going to patrol. Patrol. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. And make sure he doesn't come back. And he, he tried to call me about 45 minutes later and said, well, can I come back and sleep on the couch? And I said, I, I this was, I'm shocked in some ways. Um, it was probably like the most brave moment of my life because I was like, absolutely not in the past it would have caved and I would have said sure um why was this time different I think honestly because of what the officer said to me and just and and uh, and what was the next time gonna be what was gonna be the next thing like if I let him come back he would know that was exactly how far he could he could push me and I would take him back yeah and if I took him back this time, what would the next thing have to be? It was because it was only going to get worse. It had only gotten worse and worse and worse. And so I thought the next thing, what, what's it going to be like that, that he, that, it, that we end up on the news, <laughs> like, like, like that. I, I just couldn't, I just, I couldn't give any more ground to it. And so I didn't let him come back. And, um, and honestly, at that point too, I was like, with everything else, part of the thing that had held me back was like the fear of the unknown. How will I pay for life? How will I pay for an attorney? How will I afford to keep my kids like fed and clothed and and I kind of was like fuck it I'll figure it out like whatever it is like I'll fucking figure it out I can't game plan anymore I can't strategize like were you worried about custody arrangements like I know in your state they tend to favor 50 50 not always but like was that a factor sometimes in oh yeah absolutely okay. I mean it, it was a huge concern I mean I really didn't, I really didn't want, uh, it was, I obviously, you know, you, there are a lot of horror stories about how kids are used in 
in um, high conflict divorce as mm -hmm. pawns. Um, so I did have um, a lot of concerns with that. But at that moment, when after the police came, I just figured, fuck, even if even if we end up with 50 50, um, still better for them than like what I really thought was if I stay married I can never keep them safe I can never ever I, I can maybe shield them a little bit but they're never going to be safe mm. they're never going to be safe as long as um I stay mm -hmm. even if we end up with 50 50 at least the time they're with me they will be safe and I will know that they're safe. And um, I just had to like, you know, like take the first step in faith, I guess. So you say, or yeah. so they say, um, and we don't have 50-50 custody. So. so you filed again and actually went through with the divorce yeah. this time. Yeah. And do you remember what you felt the day that was finalized? I was a little bit sad. Um, I was mostly sad in the sense that I had I really wanted a family and had this idea about what family, what, about what a family meant and what it looked like and what I thought I was gonna build and what I thought I was gonna have. So I, I like I mourned that I wasn't, that wasn't on the table um, anymore. But mostly I felt fucking relief. And never, ever, not once, our divorce was final just over three years ago, just mm -hmm. before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. Never once have I ever thought I regret getting divorced. Never once have I ever thought I made the wrong choice. There have been times I've been sad that I have mourned what I wanted for my kids, that I have more of what I wanted for myself, but I have never once thought that I made the wrong choice. That's really powerful. Um, if it would be okay if we touched on the sex and intimacy part yeah, a, little, a little bit more. Um, throughout the years, it sounds like, correct me if I get this wrong, that sex was one way and then it progressively got more and more violent and was used as manipulation and control and and those types of things mm -hmm. like how has that area of your life been affected throughout the years of your marriage mm -hmm. and then now here we are three years later like uh -huh. what has sex meant to you during different times I guess is what I'm asking um that's a great question um so one of the challenges that I have had um, is having boundaries with sex. Um, and what do you mean when you say boundaries? Um, there have been a couple of times when I was sort of dating before uh, I met my partner or, you know, whatnot, um, where I would, I would have sex I didn't want to have because it just seemed safer to say yes than to take the risk on setting a boundary okay. and maybe having things go sideways. Mm, okay. 
um, it is still very, um, it's still really hard for me to have sex when I'm not um, drinking or have sex sober. Uh, it feels very, un it's a very, very um, unknown kind of um, avenue, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also depersonalized sex for me. Okay. More than I ever kind of expected. I grew up pretty kind of like religious and conservative household and sex was supposed to mean a big thing. And um, not that it's, it, uh, there's no value judgment on it. Um, it just, um, it, I don't, I don't feel like it's a commodity or anything like that when I do it, but it just doesn't, I feel, I feel still a little bit like, um, disconnected. Detached. It. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like sexually, this is kind of like a, a big question. Maybe you've thought about this, maybe not, but like sexually, who were you coming into your marriage? Sexually, how did you think about yourself during your marriage? And sexually, how have you thought about yourself since your divorce? I and love then coming that question. into a, a new relationship. I mean, I I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty young when I got married, mm -hmm. and pretty. I was I I had had a couple of partners, but, um, I was pretty. I I guess naive, you could say. Um, my and my and Adam was much more. Uh, experienced than I was and so at first it was really fun and it was really hot and it was really good and I I started to um, view sex and view who I was sexually differently um, a lot I I viewed I started to view myself as a lot more open-minded a lot more adventurous and then um, as you know things went along and things have shifted and things um, um, you know progressed or whatever mm -hmm. I I viewed it as a thing I had to do to it was like survival almost uh -huh. like totally like totally okay hundred percent um, and it it's, I stopped feeling like sexy and sexual and started feeling like an object. Um, as a, yeah, I guess object maybe. I started to feel like, or I started to view myself as like a person that things were just done to. And um, and not done with. And not done with, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and that I was, I, that I, I felt like I was just a body. Um, what has it been like trying to redefine that for yourself now in the last three years? And, like, you've been with your current partner 
you know, a couple of years, several years mm-hmm. now, and mm-hmm. like what what's that been like trying to redefine that with your current partner? Um, this this um, this element or this you know part of I think this is going to be probably the longest um, part of my healing because. Um, Um, I know that this is one of the harder parts to talk about. No, it's fine. It's, it's a really, it's, for me, it's a really important thing to talk about. And it's, you can tell I still, um, struggle to kind of articulate all of the very like big and complicated ways I feel about it. Um, Mm -hmm. sorry. So we kind of talked that like I might cry and like I wasn't, wouldn't be surprised, but I would be surprised by what would trigger it and this is um a little bit um tough for me um but again like I said I think it's it's really important because I think it happens to a lot of women or men I mean of people mm-hmm. and um so figuring out like who I am sexually um figuring out how to have safe boundaries, how to tell him what my boundaries are. And he's great. He's a really good listener. He's very um, respectful. Um, So none of this is on him. None of this is on um, his behavior. Um, How much does he know about the things that you have gone through sexually? And how that, like, how has that impact, if he knows anything, how does that impact the two of you sexually? Um, he knows, he knows a little. Um, okay. This is, um, uh, not a thing I talk about with him very often. Um, I feel like most of what I have shared has been a little bit more, like, high level, um, general kind of, um, information Mm -hmm. because um I don't and because I think because of how we treat sex and how we talk about sex and whatever I don't um want it to change how he thinks of me um are you afraid that it might I don't maybe there's just um a lot there's more shame kind of like with with the sexual violence than with some of the other um, things that like happened in the context of my marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, he's, um, I say this lovingly, he's a little bit emotionally repressed. (laughs) And um, I think he's really, he's he's kind of uncomfortable thinking about I I don't think I know that it makes him uncomfortable and upset to think about even the things that I have shared with him and so I guess in a way I feel like I should protect him a little bit um it sounds like you're still going to therapy too and reaching out to people who can help you continue to heal. Mm-hmm. I know you said this is your biggest 
place of healing is is sexually. Um, And it sounds like you've got support systems in place to help you continue to do that, Mm -hmm. even if you aren't necessarily telling all of the details about that healing to your partner currently. Yeah. Yeah, I am still in therapy. Um, I find I have... um, fewer people who kind of um, understand like this part of my uh, process or like this part of my trauma Mm -hmm. Um, and again kind of like the way we talk about sex and the way we view sex and the way we don't talk about sex makes it really a little harder to um, just in in quote unquote like in the wild yeah. like connect with people who have had um, similar experiences and I think um, there is still a lot of like um, antiquated views on sex within marriage and or sex within serious relationships and. Um, that there's a, oh, there's an implied consent or, you know, or, um, like even the way we view like sexual assault or rape Mm -hmm. and, well, you said yes, or you didn't say no. And it's, you know, it's like, well, I didn't feel safe to say no. And so I said yes. And like, there's a lot. I feel like those waters can get super. I feel like that's muddy. where people have a lot of opinions or they yeah, have a lot yeah, of absolutely, different, absolutely. different perspectives on experience. Of yeah, that. yeah. And um, have you come across someone who's challenged you on what you experienced? <laughs> oh yeah. And how have oh, you yeah. handled that challenge? Uh, I I kind of think that. I, it probably has only happened a couple of times, but it really um, shut me down from wanting to ever kind of open up about it any with anyone else. Um, I have a very, like a very, very small, like probably three people that I think that I've shared with that um, seem to get to get it um but um this is uh definitely the kind of thing that if I talk about if if people are going to push back on anything it's like that part of it like well you orgasm well you didn't say no well he didn't like hold you down and choke you or strangle you and and he did do that once but um you said yes um and so I am very it's I'm more selective about what or or I should say more selective about who I share that part of our marriage with than I am any of the other parts and it sucks because I feel like that's probably the part I, that needs to be talked about the most. It needs to like really be put under a spotlight because I think that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. And it's, it's the thing that people don't want to talk about the most. Yeah. And. 
what's it been like for you being on the podcast and talking about this? I mean, you've been very honest, like when you teared up and that this is the hardest part of your healing process. And I think you've been very honest about those things. Like truly what's it been like putting this out here, Megan? I, I was, I was really nervous and really excited and I'm, I, I really, I really, really hope that like at least some part of what I have shared resonates with somebody that needs to hear it. And I really hope that there are people listening who maybe feel alone and they know, like, well, like they will know they're not alone, that there is like, there is a language for what is happening to them and that, um, sex if you have to be coerced into sex it's not consent if if you are pressured into a yes that's not consent like i really hope that people feel like they can glean some kind of like maybe knowledge that they didn't have. Um, I just, I really hope that this is, is like beneficial. What do you think that you've learned about you and life from having gone through the abusive relationship and your divorce and now being in another intimate relationship? Um, I would say in in a weird kind of way so I guess it's like a, a trying to make like um, lemonade out of lemons type of thing like there's part of me that's glad that I have gone through what I went through um, because there were some um, you know like generational trauma that they talk about or you know patterns and cycles like there were um some cycles or like patterns that I learned from my family of origin where if I hadn't been forced to break them I wouldn't have broken them and so have I had I I'm sorry I don't want to get the hiccups um had I been with a marginally like less harmful husband I don't think I ever would have done the internal examination and work to get healthier. And I would have then passed on more of my trauma to my children. And I think being, I'm, I'm glad that I have been forced to do a lot of this work so that they don't have to do as much of it. Mm. Um, So something that, that you've talked about is like your presence on social media mm -hmm. from like during marriage to now. Mm -hmm. Like what, what have you noticed about that? Cause I know <laughs> like a lot of social media can look at the good stuff. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I will like look at my, uh, like my memories every day on Instagram and like Facebook. And I, I look at some of them and I was like, I had the perfect family. I had the perfect marriage. 
I had the perfect house, and all it cost me was my life. Like, it was all such a good edit. It's just a good edit, and so much of it is. And um, I get scared sometimes because I'll share more vulnerable kinds of content, or more honest, or more um, um, raw. And I get a little nervous, but there were a few people who in my journey were, um, you know, would share like things or like share something on like Instagram or Facebook. And they were almost like these like little like beacons for me. And like they gave me people to reach out to and to say like, wait, I didn't know that you've been through this. I'm going through this. Can I talk to you? And so even when I get a little bit worried that maybe I have said too much or that was too vulnerable. Um, I've, I've made connections with people who really needed somebody like I needed people who I connected with. And um, I'm super glad that I can do that and be that and, um, you know, whether they stay or leave or um, or just need a safe place to vent for a little bit. I'm, I, I, I'm glad that I can kind of be one of those people. Does it ever feel like you're reliving your trauma or your experience when women reach out to you or people reach out to you and, um, tr truthfully, no, not really. Okay. Um, there are parts of it that, that can be a little bit emotionally draining, but um, it's mostly emotionally draining. It's not so much that I feel like I'm reliving my own trauma for the most part. Um, and I have been fortunate that I have done a lot of therapy with an amazing therapist and had a lot of, um, you know, I've done a lot of like internal work. And so there are things that are still hard for me they're um, like we've you know just discussed but um, I don't generally it, I, I the people who need support are really never like set off triggers for me okay so and some of the people who have reached out have been really surprising and like who's reached out to you my ex-sister-in-law reached out to me okay which was shocking but I was really I was really glad that we could kind of like not glad that that happened to her but glad that she and I could like connect because we related on such a um such a similar we had such similar experiences so if there's like one thing that you want listeners to get like from I started that question, didn't want to finish it because I want to ask it differently. What are you hoping that people will get from your story and be able to think about sex and sexuality before, during, and after an abusive relationship or a relationship that involves abuse? Um, like sexually, what's the takeaway? That's probably um, less wordy. I would say... 
find people that you are not um, ashamed to be honest with about your experience and find um, find people who you can talk to who understand the um, the you know the nuances of um, sexual violence like um, let me think too a little bit like rape rape is not a stranger in an alley rape is usually Rape is usually something that happens within the context of a relationship or friendship. And um, then learn how to be with people who don't make you afraid to say no. Is there anything else that you feel like you want people to know? or want to put out there before we wrap up this Just episode. One okay. One thing. So this is from Yeah, yeah, you can't forget shore. this. You can't forget this because you read this to me and I was like, oh my freaking God, like you gotta read it. This I read this like right at the um, end of my divorce process. Okay. This book. Um, what what was the book? Kafka on the shore. Kafka by the shore. Sorry. I should know this better. Uh Kafka on the shore. Who, do you know who it's by? Yes. In case it people want to look it up. It's by um, Haruki Murakami. <laughs> He's a Japanese author. So say it, say it one more time so people can try to, if they want to. Haruki Murakami. Okay. And... So the quote is... And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure, in fact, whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what this storm's all about. That super resonated with me when I read it. That super resonates with me now, like I got chills. In hearing your story and listening to the vulnerability and seeing, I mean, I know people can't see us because we're listening, but being able to see the vulnerability and the empowerment mm -hmm. as you tell your story, like at the same time, has been just this amazing goosebumpy. Like, I still have chills at, even as we're wrapping up. And I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you to Megan for sharing your story. Thank you, Heather, for letting me share it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope that if you need to hear it, you know that you are not alone. Until next time, see y'all later. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Story. We all know someone or are that someone who has been affected sexually because of illness and treatment. In the coming episodes, you will learn that there are ways to overcome and deal with these effects and still experience a life full of sexiness. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, keep creating your own success story.